Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Uh, Today we're going to continue our series called Accelerate. And uh, we've been in the middle of this series, Seizing the Opportunity Together. And I'm going to read out of John chapter 1 this morning, John chapter 1, and and this message today is for all of us, Um, no matter where you find yourself, you know, I just, again, I want to give a big shout out, you know, to the moms in the room, I I want to, you know, uh, moms, single moms, uh, spiritual mothers, maybe you've never had children before, but you've uh, nurtured and and led children, and, and you have your own spiritual babies, and And so I just want to say, man, happy Mother's Day to everybody. I'm excited for this message. I believe this message today is really going to help us um, uh, how we deal with each other and how we we view God and how we uh, view each other. And so I'm going to read out of John chapter 1 today, and I want to talk to you this morning about accelerating or accelerate in grace. If there's anything a mother has, it's grace. Yes, my wife said amen. Come on, somebody. She, right? And so we, you know, you guys are like Gumby. You guys remember Gumby? You guys remember Gumby where it's just kind of the stretching, you know, you're stretched in 50,000 different directions, but you just never break, right? And that's grace. You, you apply grace to your kid's life. If you're married, you definitely, you definitely apply grace to that guy, right? And uh, hey, guys, and that girl, come on, somebody, they need it too. Uh, when you can't figure them out, how many know you need grace, right? And so, um, and so today, John chapter 1, verse 14 says it this way, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He... For he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus came, he was full of two things. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. It says that when he came into the earth, this is, this is the display of who Jesus was. It says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, here's grace this morning. I want to give you a simple definition of grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. It is the unmerited, undeserved, and unearned kindness and favor of God. And so, uh, there's a, I love this quote. It says that grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. Man, come on. That's the grace of God. Grace is the dimension of the divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference. Can somebody, some, I don't want to say it, but can somebody fix my mic? It's ringing like crazy, please. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. Thank God for sound, man. Come on, they're going to have a special place in heaven, aren't they? Man, come on, somebody. And, uh, you know, technology's crazy, but, uh, you know, so anyway, grace. The Grace is the dimension of divine activity 
that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. Here's what we have to understand today is this, is grace back then was a cultural word. Grace was a cultural word. And really, when we think of grace, this is kind of how grace is implied when you hear the word grace. It's the superior giving a gift to the inferior is kind of how we see it. So, so the superior gives a gift to the inferior. Well, when they say grace in the Bible, grace was not um, just a word that they used. It was actually a cultural word, and it's not a superior to an inferior. It's actually three parties. There's three parties involved when it comes to grace, and really when you think about it, it's, 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 uh, there's the provider, which let's say, for example, I own a, a shoe store, and I want to give 20 pairs of shoes away um, uh, for the client. And so that's my job. I want to give 20 pairs of shoes away, and I'm the one that owns it. I'm the provider. I own the shoe store. But then there's the client, so that would be the receiver. That would be the person that I would own the shoes, and then I would give them to the receiver. But when they would say grace, there was a third person involved, and it was a broker. And the broker, what his job was, is he was to go out and he looked for those that was in need. And as he looked for those that were in need, he would see the needs of the inferior. Then he would bring the inferior, the client, and connect them to the superior. Mercy. So he would take the, the, the broker would take the, the inferior and connect it to the, sim, the, the superior. And here's what you have to understand about the broker, is the broker is actually the one that paid for the shoes to be given to the inferior. In other words, grace is that. It's the, it's the superior giving to the inferior but there's a middleman that comes in, and what he does is he locates those that are inferior, then he pays the bill to the superior in order for the superior to have access to the inferior. And that person in the middle, this is grace, the person in the middle between the superior and the inferior is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one that came and got in the middle. He's the broker per se. He's the one that paid the price for us. He's the one that saw us in our sin as the inferior and wanted to connect us to the superior, which is our father. And there had to be a price that was paid. And that's the picture of grace in the day in which we live in scripture is how grace was meant. It was three parties. And so the broker was Jesus. We were the inferior. We couldn't save ourselves. We still can't save ourselves. Right? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's by the grace of God that we are saved today and transformed. And God comes and delivers us and sets us free. And, and that's the grace of God, that, that God comes and he connects us to our heavenly father. That's what the grace of God is. Now, here's what we have to understand is grace seems easy. But in reality, grace is really hard. Because grace comes two ways. There's a receiving of grace. And then there's a giving of grace. And see, a lot of times it's easy to receive grace in our life. And so we have a hard time, excuse me, we have a hard time sometimes receiving grace because we either feel that we're too undeserving and to have the undeserved favor of God or that we're okay and we don't really need it. So we have trouble sometimes receiving grace because we feel like we're so jacked up. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you look jacked up. 
Look at your other neighbor, which was your second choice, and tell them you need some grace because you're really jacked up. We're really messed up, right? And that's what the grace of God does. He comes in the grace of God, and sometimes it's hard to receive the grace of God. It's hard to receive uh, the grace of God, but we also have a hard time giving grace. When it comes to giving grace, sometimes the hurt is too deep. The problem is too big, and sometimes we hurt when it comes to, to giving grace because it's difficult. We've wrongly, uh, and, and a lot of times, here's why it's tough to give grace is because we've wrongly ranked our sin and their sin as worse than ours. A lot of times when it comes to giving grace, we look at their sin and go, you know what? Their sin is, is greater than mine. We, we start to get this mentality about ourselves, about sin, and about brokenness and pain and situations. And a lot of times we forget, we forget what God has done in our life. We forget the magnitude of how God has radically saved us. And so I really believe there's three reasons why we struggle with the idea of both giving and receiving grace in our life. And I believe that if we're going to accelerate in grace, because how many know our community needs grace? How many know this world needs grace? Now, I'm not talking about greasy grace. I'm not talking about grace that gives you the license to sin. That's not grace. Grace is the undeserved, unearned power and favor and kindness of God that gives you the ability to overcome sin. Not to make sin or not to make grace your crutch, that anytime you sin and anytime you get out of line, you're just going to do whatever I feel like doing. No, that's rebellion. And when you're in rebellion, you're separated from your heavenly father. Grace will bring you back. But listen to me, I think there's so many people in the world today that they think they can just do whatever they want and God's just going to keep heaping grace upon them. Grace is the power to overcome the thing you're struggling with. That's why Jesus came to the earth. That's why he's the personification of grace. That's why he's the picture of grace. That's why, that's why he, he's, the, he's the broker. That's why he's the one that paid the price, is to empower us by the Holy Spirit and the word of God to overcome sin. Not to sit in our sin and make excuses for our sin and live in this place of rebellion against God. I'm telling you today, we need a church that's going to say, listen, God loves you enough. He loves you. He doesn't like your sin, but he loves you enough not to keep you in that sin and to bring you into that place of transformation. Are you with me this morning? Because we all need it. So why do we struggle when it comes to uh, both giving and receiving of grace? Number one is we're conditioned by conditional love. I believe it's tough for us to both give and receive grace because we're conditioned by conditional love. See, because conditional love says this, I love you because. It's implying conditions. Uh, conditional grace says, I love you until it's implying limits. Until you do this, until there's this condition met, I won't love you until then. I can't release grace in your life until something different begins to take place. See, we're conditioned by the conditional. I love you if. If you reach this standard, then I will love you. That's not what Jesus said. See, because he lives with an unconditional grace. He lives with an unconditional love. In other words, I love you, period, nothing extra. So you don't have to measure up. Maybe you're in the room today and you've been trying to get better. 
Oh, no, stop trying to get better. Stop trying to get better. Let Jesus get on the inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he'll make you better. He'll change you. He'll, he'll revolutionize your life. Why? Because a lot of times in our life, we're conditioned by conditional love. And in relationships and life, we, we, we put a standard against people, and we expect them to live a certain way. Now, there's wisdom. Obviously, there's wisdom. But at the end of the day, Jesus looks at us and says, I love you in spite of everything. You don't have to do anything extra for the love of God and the grace of God to operate in your life. Isn't that good news for you? That no matter where you find yourself today, that God's love is unconditional. He didn't say, Jason, get your deal together and then I'll love you. I'll give you grace if you get your deal together. And that's not what he said. He said, Jason, while you were broke, busted, and disgusted, while you were at the lowest part of your life, I loved you. You didn't have to clean yourself up, put your best church clothes on on Sunday, and come in the door and think God's going to love you anymore. No, God loves you just the way you are, just the, just the way you are. And guess what? Again, he's going to love you to the place to where he, his love motivates you for transformation. So I believe that's why sometimes we can't receive it, nor can we give it. We think our sin is too great. Listen to me. Your sin is not greater than the love of God that sent his son to the earth to pay for your sin. You ain't that bad of a sinner. Right? You ever sit around with people and tell sin stories? Right? After Jesus came into your life, well, I can tell you when I was doing this, and you got that one guy around the table that always tries to up the sin stories. <laughs> Just wants to tell more of his sin and so proud of how much of a sinner he was. Listen to me, we all got a story, but if you're truly born again, that thing was left in the water baptism tank. I no longer have a story of that man. He's dead, and now I'm alive. So stop sharing your sin stories. It's under the blood of Jesus because his love is unconditional. Number two is we fail to understand the reach of the cross. When it comes to receiving and giving of grace, we fail to understand the reach of the cross. When it comes to the cross, phew, we have this imaginary pen that we stick on a timeline of our lives. And we say, we assume this is where I said yes to Christ. I said yes to Jesus, May of 1994, came into my life, changed me. Never been to church in my entire life. He walked into my bedroom as an addict and set me free. Amen. That was powerful. Most incredible moment I've ever had with Jesus is when he saved me. It was radical. But I didn't put a pin in my moment and say, this is when God forgave me. And God forgave me from this point backwards. Guess what? He not only saved my present in my past, but he saved my future. Because listen, when we think about the reach of the cross, sometimes we, we pinpoint it to the place of where, where, where this is, no, he's not going to handle that, he's just going to handle But listen, on the cross, Jesus' death was atoning once and for all as a sacrifice before God for all the sins of the world and all the people of the world. And we can trust him to handle our past, our present, and our future. The cross was not intended just to reach your past and set you free from your past. It was intended to set you free in your present and give you a future. Don't limit the cross. Its reach is past, present, and future. Whoo, that's exciting to know. That it, it reaches... 
Listen, when you truly know Jesus, we know the forgiveness of sin is past, present, and future. First Peter says it this way. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. That's us, to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. It says that Jesus died once and for all. That cross has a reach. Think about it. There's people that have never met Jesus that's outside the four walls of this building. There's people we're going to come in contact with. There's going to be people when we move out of this building and move on to our other building, that when we move into there in that place, that there's going to be people that's going to come that don't have any idea that the cross of Jesus is more than a religious figure, that it's more than just the thing you hang around your neck. The cross is something that speaks of grace, personified that he saved me, and he has the ability to set me free from my past, my present, and my future. So whatever you're worried about concerning your future, don't worry about it. The cross has already been there, and he's going to set it free, and he's going to put you on a path, and he's going to straighten your way, and he's going to get you into a place of transformation. Come on, somebody. It's your future. He's got, he's got, he's got his future in your hands. So we, need, we struggle because we, put a, we, we, we fail to understand the reach of the cross. And so when it comes to giving somebody grace, we think, well, there's no, no, that, no. Or when it comes to receiving, no, that's where we, no, no, no. He only does it backwards. No, 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 no. Past, present, and future. And then number three is this. We use our math rather than God's math. Sometimes when it comes to receiving Grace and giving grace, we use our math rather than God's math. One of the most common mistakes, listen to me, that we make is to assume that God has done 99% of the work of saving us and that we merely have to do 1% and that's repent and believe. Listen, we think that God did 99% of the work and we have to add our 1%. Listen, repenting and believing does not contribute to our redemption. It's not 99% in your 1%. Salvation is a 100% God thing. Grace is a 100% God thing. It's not your prayer that adds the 1% that saves you. No, it's your humility and your surrender to 100% of what God has already done for you. And sometimes in our life, we think, well, we, get, we want people, you know, you got to kind of, no, 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 there's a surrender. There is a submitting to the will of God. There is a laying before God that says, I'm, I'm going to trust in 100% of what you have done. When it comes to receiving, when it comes to giving, 100% of what God has done. We don't expect you to measure up in the natural. We don't expect you to fix yourself in the natural apart from Jesus. Then guess what? That means your salvation was by works. It's not by works. The Bible says that salvation, it's by faith and through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. You could try to get your deal together all day long, but guess what? You're going to fall short of the glory of God every single time. And so why not just surrender the 1%? Why not surrender the 1% to the 100% and receive 100% of all God wants to do in your life and through your life? And so we live with this place where we think, well, see, you know, he, listen, here's what you have to understand about this grace is he initiated it. He foresaw, he foreknew, and he foreordained. He justified, he sanctified, and he glorified his people. Listen, grace is hard for us 
Because we as human beings are limited in our perspectives. We're conditioned by our culture to act a certain way. We're naturally defensive in our demeanor when it comes to receiving and giving of grace. And we live with this place where it's, it's like this over inordinate sense of fairness. You do right by me, by me, I'll do right by you. That's not how you give grace. What if God did that with you? What if God said, you know what? You do right by me and I'll do right by you. That's not what God did. God said, it doesn't matter what you did. Grace comes 100% of the time with 100% of force to set us free. That's the grace of God. So when it comes to people and it comes to lives and people that we're dealing with, let's extend the grace of God. There's a story in your Bible in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to reference it. There's a story of a dad that had two boys. And uh, there was one boy, which the Bible would call like the prodigal son. And this boy was a boy, he was, he was, a, he was a, a high strung kind of guy. And he came to his daddy and he said, dad, I want all the inheritance that you have for me. And he came to his father and he said, I want my inheritance as a young man. And normally you don't get the inheritance until the father's dead, right? And so in this passage, the scripture is really referencing that the son was coming to the father, asking for something out of its timing. In other words, he was saying to his father, you're as good as dead to me. Just give me your money. Luke 15. So the father says, okay, he gave him his inheritance. He gave him his inheritance. He went out into the land, and the Bible says that he took that money, and he took his livelihood, and he went out, and he blew it. He went out, and it says that he lived a wild life, and he spent all that he had. And the Bible says that he found himself coming to a point in his life where he found himself in the pig pen, literally. And he was eating pig's food and pods with the pigs. Get this picture. He's rolling around in the pig stuff with the pigs because he had spent all that of his inheritance on wild living. And the Bible says that this boy had come to his senses is what the scripture says. And the Bible says that, that this boy, as he came to his senses, he said he started contemplating this. Should I go back to my father's house? I'm not worthy. I'm not even as worthy as one of his servants. He says, he says all of a sudden as he starts to, and the Bible says he comes to his senses and he says, well, I'm just going to go ahead and go. Well, in the meantime, the Bible says that the father was sitting on the porch. Now, what you have to understand in scripture is that that place where he was sitting was a place of authority. When he would sit in that seat on the porch, it was a place of authority. And it was the place of, of, of the picture of the authority of God. And so there he is, he's sitting, and all of a sudden, he's probably wondering about his boy. Moms, we wonder, you guys wonder about, I say we, I'm not one, amen. I'm a father, amen. But moms, you wonder about your kids, you worry about your children. And so, I, what, and so there he is, and he's wondering about his boy. I wonder what's happening to my son. No contact with him. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that over the hillside comes this raggedy-looking boy. And the Bible says that as his father sees him afar off, all of a sudden, the Bible says that his, the, the father stands up, and he says he begins to run towards his boy. Now, this is the only time in passage that you will reference your father, God. This is a picture of God running he gets up from his seat and he starts to run towards this boy. 
And when he reaches the boy, the boy hits his feet, hits his face, and he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Now keep in mind, he just came from the pig pen. So he smelled like what he had been around. How many know sin is nasty? Sin is nasty. It destroys our life. And so he had been around a bunch of sin, and that's what he started to smell like. And so there he was. And so his, his father, uh, the boy came, and he laid down at his father's feet, and he said, Father, I'm not worthy. Now here's grace. Here's where we've been conditioned in our world to take that boy that was dirty, messy, smelled like sin, and, and wash him off and then receive him. Here's what happened in this moment. The dad picked his boy up, and it says that he embraced him. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. You don't have to justify being my son. You're my son. You don't have to, ju- you don't have to say I'm not worthy. You don't have to- Why, you're my son. And so he picks him up in his sin, in his stench, and he hugs him, and he embraces him in that moment. And the Bible says that all of a sudden he says, get him a ring. Get him a ring. That's the family ring. Put a signature ring on him. He's in the family. He's a part of the family. Put a robe on him, right? Put a royal robe on him. Then put shoes on his feet because then the, the, the people that were uh, uh, considered uh, uh, slaves during that time, they didn't wear shoes. And so he was considered that. And so when he came home, the Bible says that he put shoes on his feet. He put a ring on his hand. He put a robe on me. And the Bible says that he said, get the fatted calf. Come on, somebody. That's the kind of homecoming I want. Barbecue. So he says, he get, and so all of a sudden he says, get the, cat, get the fatted calf, and they throw a party, and all of a sudden it starts to rejoice, and all of a sudden you, the, the people come around, and he says, my son was lost, but now he's found. My son was away, but now he's home. All of a sudden there's this spectacular celebrata- uh, celebration taking place as a boy that was stuck in sin, that was broken, that had li- given his life to sin, that his father reached down in his muck and his mire and in his stench and picked him up and threw him a party. In this passage, it says this, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that says yes to him. It is the most beautiful picture of grace you'll find in your Bible. So what happens when me and you take the position of this type of grace? What happens, and how can we accelerate in grace? How can we, uh, what happens when we receive grace, and what happens when we extend grace? What happened to this boy in this moment? Number one is what happens is we experience true freedom. We experience true freedom in our life. The Bible says, I'm free from condemnation, guilt, and fear that sin once had over me. Grace comes, and the truth sets us free. Grace is the invitation to freedom. It's the invitation to freedom. Colossians 2 says it this way. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Did you know you had that against you? And it says this. It says he was taken. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. What does grace do? It brings true freedom to our life. Think about what happens when you extend that. Think about what happens when you receive it. All of a sudden, the people that didn't think freedom was possible now has an opportunity to experience freedom because you extended grace, the undeserved, unearned kindness and favor 
of God. Number two is this, is what happens when we receive all of a sudden a genuine confidence comes in our life. In other words, here's what this means, that my current problems don't get the final say. God does. My current situation does not get the final say, the the problem, the report, the issue, the things that's going on in my family. It does not get the final say. God does. And here's what Colossians or Romans tells us. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, into this grace in which now we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He says that we stand in grace. Why do you think David could have faced Goliath? He was a little boy in the youth group going down to bring cheese and crackers to his brothers who was in a war. There was no fight. There was no war. They were scared to death. The Bible says they were in the bushes when Goliath would come out. And all of a sudden, there's this boy named David, and he comes, and he, has, he talks to Saul, and he hears Goliath. And he's like, hey, Saul, what's this uncircumcised Philistine talking about my God for? Why is he running his mouth for? And all of a sudden, Saul's like, hey, man, look, try my armor on. David's like, I'm going to go out there, right? Just a young, just, I'm going to go out there, take this nine-foot giant on. Bring it on. Right? Just spunky, confident. And and the Bible says that that in this moment, he's there, and Saul says, here, put on my armor. Just like an old person, ask a young person to wear their armor. It doesn't fit them. Let them be young. Let them be vibrant. Let them be excited. Let them be zealous for God. Anyway, that's another sermon. (laughs) But all of a sudden, he says, no, I can't handle your armor. He said, I got me a little slingshot. And he said, I'm going to go down to the brook. See that right there? I'm going to go down to the brook, and I'm going to give me five smooth stones. See, he was living in confidence. That's what grace does. See, David's grace and confidence wasn't within himself. He'll tell you later what it was in. So he goes down to the brook. and gets five smooth stones. Why five? There was only one Goliath. It says that Goliath had four brothers. Goliath, David wasn't coming just to take Goliath. He was like, if you want to bring your whole family, I'll take all their heads off. Look at that confidence that boy has. Where's that coming from? He's 17 years old. He's been hanging out with sheep in the back shepherd's field, right? He's back there, but he's been taking lions and tearing them up. And he's like, I'll take this dude out too. And all of a sudden he walks down and Goliath is like, what is this little peon doing? Why do you think you're down here? You think you're going to come down here and take care of business? David's like, I got your business. I've been down to the, to the creek, and I got me some smooth stones. And Goliath says, listen, I'm going to cut your head off. David says, oh, no, you ain't cutting my head off. I'm cutting your head off. You may come to me with a javelin and a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Right there, you know what he was saying? His confidence wasn't within himself. His confidence was within his God, that the problem that stood in front of him was not a problem that couldn't be taken on by the grace of God. And all of a sudden, David, all of a sudden, there's Goliath, and David takes his sling, and all of a sudden, that rock, supernatural power, hits that little rock, hits nine-foot Goliath in the head, and then Goliath, there he goes, down, boom, on the ground. And David walks over and says, you know what? That same sword that you tried to destroy me with is the same sword that I'm going to cut your head off with. And David goes over and takes Goliath's sword, stands on him, and fluff with his head. And then he grabs his head, and he walks back to Saul's army. I got him. Can you imagine? (laughs) 
Saul was like, ooh, I need to change my pants. I just, come on, somebody. Like, here he comes. He's got, sorry, for all you guests. It's real here. That's why it's real life. Um, he comes with this head of the enemy. In other words, listen to me, what confidence does. See, God gets involved with confident people, right? Because the sword that was meant to kill him is actually the sword that he used to take off the head of the authority of the enemy that was trying to come against him. So listen, you don't have to worry about a thing when the grace of God's in your life. You got confidence to go before the throne of God and take care of your enemies. The enemies and the things going on in your life don't have last say. When you get up in the morning, get you a towel and act like it's Goliath's head. Walk around your house and say, in the name of Jesus, you will not have my kids. In the name of Jesus, you will not have my family. In the name of Jesus, you will not have my community. Come on, in the name of Jesus, you will not have the church. In America, all of a sudden you walk around with this confidence, going boldly before your father, coming confidence boldly before his throne, and all of a sudden God begins to move through the grace and the power of the presence of God in your life, and you start to give it to everybody, and you come up to people that are broken and messed up in our community. When you're at work and that person that comes in every day and saying, I'm just beat up with life, but you come in there with confidence and say, listen, I was in my room this morning and I had my towel, my pastor said the, the Goliaths of this world. Everything going on in your life right now, baby, if you just surrender 100% to him, all of a sudden he's going to turn it around. Why? Because you're confident that no matter what they're going through, it doesn't matter if they're a drug addict, if they're a CEO of a company hooked on alcohol, a prostitute, somebody that's just successful, it doesn't matter who it is, from the guttermost to the uttermost, you're confident enough to know that God will change anybody at any moment, at any time, because that's the grace of God. Number three, you'll have, genu you'll have ultimate purpose. Worship team, you guys can come. I'm, I'm right here. I need my organ, the whole deal. Bring it. Number three, ultimate purpose. Ultimate purpose. I'm invited to be a part of something that has eternal impl implications. Do you realize that what Jesus is inviting you into has eternal implications? I heard somebody say it this past week. I was watching a leadership training and listening to this guy preach, and he said this. He said, for people that are Christians... This earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But listen, for those that are not, this is close to heaven as they'll ever get. See, because what we do with the grace of God has eternal implications. And if we don't stop judging the people that need Jesus to set them free, we will never build a bridge to the people that need him. And when we start to live with the mentality that there is an internal, eternal implication to how we give and how we receive grace, God wants us by his Holy Spirit to understand we have an ultimate purpose that has eternal implications. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He saved us and called us to a holy life. It says, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us by Jesus Christ. And number four, that when we give and we receive grace, 
we will have a surplus of grace. See, a surplus of grace is we'll have more than enough for me, but I'll have more than enough for others. See, because what happens when we receive it is as we receive it, he multiplies it in our life, not for us, but for those around us. Some of you, the grace of God is something your family needs. Some of you dads, you need to chill out. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, you need to chill out. You're on 500 miles an hour, living in a place of stress, and your family needs you to come in and give grace. Hear me though, grace is not the empowerment for sin, grace is the empowerment over sin. God, God wants us to display grace as families. And as God, as we receive the grace of God, then we have a surplus of that grace to pass out to everybody else. It says in Romans 5, he says this, he says, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in the grace of God because when we look at what he's done for us, now he's set us free. All of a sudden now we have this grace to hand out. All of a sudden we have, we have, we, we, we come to the understanding of how great the forgiveness was in my life. That everybody needs the same grace that I experienced. You need the grace. I need the grace. You need the grace. Everybody needs the grace. But the church has to understand that God's given you more than enough grace, not just for yourself, but for others as well. So I want to read you a really short story. See, true fullness of life begins and continues on a platform of God's relentless love and extravagant grace. Standing in the grace of God changes everything. There's a story uh, during his days as president, Thomas Jefferson, I'll close with this. And a group of companions were traveling across country on horseback. They came to a river that had left its banks because of a recent downpour. So they, they, they came to the river and it had, over, it had overflowed and flooded. It said the swollen river that had washed, it had washed the bridge away. So there was no way to get to the other side. And, and when the bridge is gone, you have to kind of settle where you're at. You can't get over. And so it says each rider was threatened with the real possibility of death to cross this river, which caused a traveler who was not part of their group to step aside and watch. So he's not a part of the group. He's by himself. And the, and the president and his folks were looking at this river and the bridge was gone. There was no way for this man that had come alongside this group to walk over the bridge to get to freedom. Because in order for him to cross the bridge, he needed across the river he needed a bridge to experience freedom and so the story goes on to say that after several of the people had plunged in in the, with their horses they made it to the other side and the stranger asked President Jefferson he says if he would carry him across the river 
And so he looked at the president. He said, the president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on the back of the president's horse. Shortly thereafter, the two of them made it back safely to the other side. And as the stranger slid off the back of the horse onto dry ground, one in the group that was with Thomas Jefferson asked him, tell me why did you select the president to ask this favor of? Why did you want favor from the president? The man was shocked and he said this, he admittedly looked at these, these men and he admittedly did not know that it was the president that had helped him across the river. He didn't know his status. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know his position. He just knew that he was a man that needed to cross an impossible situation and there was no bridge to take him over. He needed somebody that was gonna carry him across this impossible situation. And listen to what this man said. He said this, he said, all I know, he said, was, is that some of your faces was written the answer, no. And on some of your faces was the answer, yes. And when I looked into the president's eyes and saw his face, his was a yes face. In other words, when I looked at the president and I looked at my impossible situation, and I had no way of crossing this river because I had no bridge. The president had to become my bridge to freedom. And I looked into his eyes and I looked into his face and I saw the word yes. Yes, I'll pick you up. Yes, you can ride on my horse. Yes, we'll, we'll go to, to freedom. Listen to me today. That's what Jesus did. There was no bridge for us to walk across to save ourselves. There was nobody else that had a yes on their face when it come to saving humanity other than Jesus. He was the only one that was willing to pick us up through his cross and his death and his burial and resurrection, through the grace of God, he was the only one that was willing to look at sin and look at the turmoil and look at how we couldn't save ourselves. And in the middle of the chaos, put us on his horse. And he said, I'm gonna send you all the way across this impossible situation and you're gonna come into freedom. Listen, Jesus today extends his grace. What if people see Jesus in you? What if when people see you, they see yes? What if people, when they see you, they see, yes, God wants something for my life. Yes, God will pick me up and he will change me and he will save me and he will deliver me and he will release grace in my life to change me forever. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I've been looking at a river that's overflown. There's two types of people in this room today. There's those that need to give grace and there's those, no, those that need to receive grace. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I need to receive grace. I need the grace of God in my life. 
I'm like that man that was standing there by that river trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get to freedom. Well, listen, Jesus by his cross is saying yes to you today. He's going to pick you up through his cross and carry you to freedom today. All you have to do is say yes to him. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to make a decision to say yes to Jesus Christ today. I need to receive the grace of God in my life. If that's you, would you do me a favor? Will you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. You say, that's me. I need the grace of God to happen in my life today. If you're watching online today and you say, that's me, Pastor. I need the grace of God. If you need the grace of God today, just put yes in the comments today. And we're going to pray in just a minute for those that need to say yes to Jesus. And as we pray, we would just want you to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that today you're going to receive the grace of God, but then you're going to receive enough grace to pass out the grace. So let's all pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. Thank you today for making me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. I surrender my 1%. I give it all to you. I lay at your feet today. Change me, save me, heal me, deliver me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand clap today for that? God, yes. If you said yes to Jesus today, If you said yes to Jesus today, I'd love for you to stop by the Next Steps area. We have a card for you to fill out. And in that card, which is just a little opportunity for us to follow up with you, let you know uh, how much we love you and we're gonna help you on your journey with Jesus. Don't move around too much, church, because 95% of the world today has never led, that claim to be Christians, has never led anyone to Jesus, which means you keep the grace to yourself. I ain't done praying for you. I know we wanna get to Cracker Barrel and get up on out of here. But hold on a second. Your waitress at Cracker Barrel, she might need grace today. And that grace may show up in a smile. That grace may show up in an extra 50% tip. That, that grace may show up in a prayer. We have got to be alert as the church of Jesus that we've received grace not for ourselves, but we've received grace for God to change us and then for grace to be released through our lives. And so bow your heads. Father, today I pray for our church. I pray for the church. I pray, Lord, today, God, that you would just release grace through us. Your undeserved, un, unhindered, un, 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 unearned and undeserved grace and kindness and favor that through your church, Lord, that you would c- cause the, the grace of God to give people freedom, to give them confidence, to give them a eternal perspective, to give them something that they know that, God, you will change their life no matter who they are. And Lord, I pray today for every encounter this week of people that we come in contact with. May your church, may this church, may real life church not be a part of the 95%, but Lord, may we step out in the name of Jesus and release the grace of God through every situation and every, every time and every opportunity that we get an opportunity to come in contact with somebody that may need to know you. May we not be selfish in our nature, but Lord, may the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, flow through us, and God, may their lives be changed. May seeds be planted this week for life change in the life of others. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you today for all the moms. We just ask, Lord, today that you continue to heap upon them grace, that they may give grace. And we praise you for it today, Lord. We pray for for all the ladies in the room, no matter the situation, no matter what they've been through. 
Lord, whether they're single moms, whether they're spiritual moms, Lord, no matter what, what per se category, Lord, we just thank you today that nobody's in that, Lord, that you just love each person in this room today. And Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there'll be grace to do what you've called them to do. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a... Hello, I'm Sarah, and I want to say thank you for joining us for Church Online. I hope it encouraged you and it was just what you needed to hear today. You can listen to more messages on our website at liverlife.com. Also, if you rededicated your life or said yes to Jesus for the first time today, we are so excited for you. You just made the most important decision of your life. As a reminder, you can click the link in the chat and fill out our online connection card. We want to give you the tools to grow in your relationship with God. We also want to thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Your generosity plays a huge part in every story of life change and is building God's kingdom. As a reminder, you can give online or text give to the number on your screen. Thanks again for joining us today. We will see you next week. $800,000, cash in hand, right? This I'm not going by faith, amen, come on. Commitments are not just, okay, you're going to commit and then we're just going to step. No, when 800000 hits the bank account, amen, that's when we're going to move forward. And so right now, at this stage of the campaign, um, uh, before I talk about ways to give, um, uh, I want to announce our commitment totals. And right now, we sit at this number, we sit at $645,100. Come on, somebody. Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap. Praise God. <clears throat> So what this means is we're about 64% away from our top goal of a million dollars. <laughs> and uh, I want to say this, thank you for those that have made commitments and you're bought in and you're, and you're a part. For those of you that are still coming, come on with it, right? Because we're doing this together and we're moving together down the road that God has for our, our church and we have for you that are guests. We have property up on Social Row Road, building a facility, seats uh, about three, uh, 285 people, tons of space for kids and outreach and multiple services. And we're just going to make it, we're just going to make a flat impact in this region. Amen. And so because of that, right, so we started our Accelerate campaign. So $645,100, come on, let's give the Lord one more big hand clap for that. Amen. So next week is our, our first fruits offering, our Accelerate offering. So next week, whatever you committed to, next week we're gonna be bringing 10% of that, amen, and we're gonna give next week. And uh, there's many ways you can give. I actually have a card, can you hand me a card? This is my beautiful wife, and she's the best mama in the world. She's been a mama for 23, almost 24 years. Girl, you better go ahead, give her a big hand, boy, boy. talking about. Um, so on your seat, you have a giving card. I just wanted you to have this for this week as you begin to pray um, and, and how you're going to give. I will t concerning Accelerate, here's what I want you to understand, that Accelerate is over the top of what you've already given. It's a sacrifice. So it's above the tithe, right? And so it's, it's above uh, what you give and it's a sacrifice. I get it. I understand. We're all stretching. We're all walking in faith. But I want you to know something. The, the commitments that have come in everybody's being a part, whether it's, whether it's $50 a month, uh, whether it's $1,300 for the, for the three years, or whether it's 100000 
It doesn't matter, all in between. What's that mean? Everybody's a part. That's how we get to $645,000 is because everybody's together. And so what you have to understand about our giving is this is good for you to have for now and forever, okay? But the giving piece, you can give online. You can also, on our, when you give online, you can set up reoccurring giving. So if you know what you're giving each month toward the building, you can actually go online, set up a recurring gift. You say it's 200 bucks a month. You just put monthly 200 and boom, it comes out every month, whatever you hook it to, right? Um, it comes out once a month or whatever you're giving or twice a month or weekly, whatever you're doing. And so that can have you in text to give as well. And so this is just for next week, okay? Uh, but it's also for this week because we're still taking our off. You, get, you guys, you following me? You with me? All right, so we wanted you to be aware of how to give next week for Accelerate offering. And obviously you can bring check, you can bring cash, all that stuff. And so we're gonna pray over today's offering. And today's offering, again, it's our tithe. It's our, it's, we give to general fund when it comes to our tithing. And so thank you for your generosity. I don't know about you guys, but we've been portable for 10 plus years. I'm fired up about this next season. I mean, I am to, to my toes. I am excited about the possibilities of what God's going to do through our church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about lives being changed. I'm talking about souls coming into the kingdom. I'm talking about hundreds of baptisms. I'm talking about people's lives being transformed. That's what I'm excited about. 25 of you. Amen. Come on. I know you're excited. I know you're excited. But uh, we want to pray over this morning's offering. And uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for the grace of giving. You tell us in 2 Corinthians to excel in the grace of giving. And today, as we give of our tithe, thank you, Lord, today as we give and as we make commitments to you concerning Accelerate and, and the process that you have us going through, we praise you, Lord, today for the $645,000 of commitment. And Lord, we just thank you for the millions. We thank you for over a million, Lord God, to do what you've asked us to do. And we're just following your plan every day, just being excellent with what you put in our hands. Thank you for more doors, more opportunities. Every person, Lord, that gives, I thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for the stretching of their faith. And I thank you that because of that, there'll be a supernatural blessing. The windows of heaven open over their life. And they'll be blessed to be a blessing, to be a conduit of the blessing of God. So we release that over our people today, over your people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.